Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Excited, as always, to be here with you and to bring some amazing, well, I think they're amazing guests, and based on the feedback you give me each week, you love the guests that I have on the show and how they help you shift your perspective around whatever is going on in your life or your business and help you take things to the next level. Because really, isn't that what it's all about? Changing the status quo, moving forward, and having your best life possible. And my guest today is no exception to that rule about having the best life possible. I had his other half on a few weeks ago, um, Rachel Martin. We were talking about her book, The Brave Art of Motherhood and Finding Joy, and you know her story. And Dan is on because he's doing something, well, the two of them are really doing cool stuff, but He founded something called Blogging Concentrated and does every year the BC Stack. And I found out about it through a friend of mine, Gary Gavanis, who's been on the show before. And I love this concept of putting a bundle together of some of the best of the best offers that can help you take whatever you want to do to the next level. But what I love about Dan is how he goes about getting things done. You know, everybody talks about they want things to go viral. You have to spend money for advertising on social media. You have to do all this other stuff. This guy gets a thousand person reach each week on Facebook without paying a dime. If you're interested in learning more about that, stay tuned. And uh, Dan, thank you so much for finally being on the show. I'm glad we could finally put it together. It's taken forever to get our schedules together. No, it's always good. I'm here in Tennessee. You're down there in Florida. Enjoying the fun weather. I'm wishing that I was there, but I'm not. <laughs> well, if you were here, you'd be right in the middle of love bug season. What is that? Oh, my gosh. It is not something. Just Google love bugs, Florida, and you'll see pictures of trucks with the entire front of the truck obliterated, just covered with dead bugs, houses covered with them. There are these bugs that only last a couple of days, but... They have such a massive impact <laughs> during those couple of days. And sort of like, you know, the work that you do getting stuff viral, right? Massive impact, but your goal is it doesn't just last a couple of days. It keeps going, right? True, true. Although when you said that, I really thought you meant like Herbie the love bug car. Like you had thousands of them that showed up in Florida. We do have one in Sebastian here. There's somebody that actually has a Herbie the love bug with the stickers and everything all over it. Yeah, I have a black minivan. I told my kids the other day that I might get the stickers to make it look like the A-Team van. There you go. There you go. And I saw saw somebody. people will know. I saw somebody the other day who had their van tricked out like the Scooby-Doo van. Oh, that takes effort there. That really, really does. The A-Team is one red stripe. It's not very difficult. (laughs) No, it's not. But it is very iconic, isn't it? Yes. Although, like I said, I think there's only about eight people that would probably remember well, you know, it's a certain generation that we yes, remember. Yes, it is. Our generation, the greatest, except for the actual greatest generation that Tom Brokaw came right. up with. I am at the, I'm the last year of the baby boomers. Oh, you are? Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. It's I'm good. not in the baby boomers. Well, there you go. It, it only so. takes a year to be not in it. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Dan, I want I to talk know about what our generation's called. Which, oh, well, I'm not no sure which idea. generation you are. I was born in 73, so I don't know. It's like not the Gen X of the 80s people. I don't know. The, if anybody knows that, you're going to have to tweet that out to us at, at the Laura Stewart and let us know what somebody who was born in the 70s, what generation they would be considered. I'll tell you what. Um, so I do a podcast called Amplify Today. And uh, I recently told a story about the tipping point of Apple computers. And that story resulted in what I would consider to be to have named our generation be the Oregon Trail generation. Because the kids of my, people my age remember the the entrance of computers into the classroom. And anybody before us doesn't really remember computers in the classroom. And anybody after us only remembers computer in classroom. They don't remember the first computer. Like I remember in fourth grade when we got that Apple IIe. Uh, so I told this entire story connecting all the dots about how Apple computers who went to uh, a computer fair in California uh, met uh, some guys that worked at a company in Minnesota. And these guys in Minnesota had developed uh, thousands of pieces of software because they'd created somewhat of an intranet within uh, Minnesota where all the teachers could could log on to their Minnesota intranet and play different kinds of reading games and learning games. And they had they had this game called the Oregon Trail, which at the time uh, only kids in Minnesota had played. So Apple was at this one and only computer fair that they'd ever gone to, and they're trying to sell their computers, realizing that the biggest problem they have is trying to figure out how to convince people they need a computer. So when they met these guys in, in from Minnesota who also went to the fair who had computers and you know, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of software, they realized that if they partnered with them and they sold the Apple computer with the software, including the game, the Oregon Trail, that they could finally have a reason to sell that computer. So those things put together and resulted in like 8,000 school systems buying the Apple computer with the Oregon Trail game. And um, we're kind of the only generation that has that experience. So that's so, the first real bundle. Yeah. Exactly. That is the first real bundle. And it was a pretty amazing bundle for Apple because, as you know, what ended up having to them. They're a giant now. Yeah, see, I still remember the days of DOS and mainframes and the the Tandy computers with the cassette tape recorder attached to them, and that's how you put oh, the yeah. program in and the evolution of BASIC way, way before Apple. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the Oregon Trail was built... Uh, on one of those systems, one of those computers that didn't have a monitor. You know, like, it, it's, it, it was a teletype machine, and the machine spit out a question about traveling the Oregon Trail, and you had to answer the question, uh, and then it told you the next question and the result of you answering your question. And it was so interesting that there were, like, 64,000 ways that you could play the game based on your answers because even the time it took to respond to the question dictated what the computer would tell you happened next. So it, it was, you know, really ahead of its time back then. Yeah, and somebody wrote every single line of that code 
by themselves and hand entered it a lot harder than what you have to do nowadays. It's, I remember punch cards and magnetic tape, and if you dropped those cards, that was a nightmare. He not only hand entered it once, but he hand entered it three different times right. because he wrote it uh, when he was. His name was Dale of Friends. He, he wrote it when he was. Uh, uh, I can't think of. He, he was a an apprentice at a school, and he was only there for a semester. So he wrote it for the semester. And then when he left, he took the game down, but he printed it all out. And then when he finally got a job with this company that eventually hosted it, he had to retype the whole thing, and he ended up doing it in a weekend, which I thought was pretty crazy. So, Dan, how did you get from this kid with the Apple IIe and Oregon Trail to what you're doing now with the you know the cutting-edge work you're doing with blogging, with your podcast, with getting social media responses and getting people on board with business? You know, I'm not exactly sure how to narrow that down to eight-minute discussion, but definitely uh, I, I grew up a military kid, uh, and we moved all over the place all the time. So just in growing up, I learned somewhat adaptation you know, like moving from one school to the next, trying to eventually figure out how do I move into a new school where I'm not the only kid sitting by himself at lunch? Like, how do I how do I actually make that happen when I move to a new place? How do I make friends on day one? And I, I think that strange experience ended up making me somewhat of a people person. Um, so that that part of me kind of didn't exist for the first part of my career because I, I was a I was a real estate developer. Um, okay. And I built I built Walgreens pharmacies all over the country. I uh, built them in, in Washington, California, Arizona, Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee. And that particular job uh, was project management. I mean, it was entirely project management. I learned how to do a, a Gantt chart. I learned, you know, limiting factors. And when you're putting a building together, how do you get, you know, steps 16, 17, 18 done before number, you know, step three is done so that you're totally ready when, you know, step four comes around. Uh, just, you know, just really cool project management stuff that I'm not sure I would have learned anywhere else. And in 2008 when kind of the bottom fell out of the economy, Walgreens went from building 440 stores a year to building like 13. So That's a big company, change. Yeah, yeah. The, the guy that I worked for, he, we just didn't, we had a few in the pipeline, but there weren't any more coming. So he, all, he let us all know that uh, there was going to be a time unless things changed when he was going to have to shut down the business. So at that time, I started uh, I started looking for other things, and uh, he he had purchased uh, the marketing rights to a antioxidant nutritional company product, and we had started doing TV infomercials with this product. So I got really heavily involved in how does the marketing of a product go? How does TV infomercial world work? How do you make money? You know, like going to the call centers and training the call center people how to answer the questions and then 
we worked on auto ship, you know, did all these marketing things to try to figure out, you know, how are we going to actually make money? But neither of those two things really involved people. It was mostly numbers and spreadsheets and, you know, calling a contractor, but there, there wasn't much of a people part to it. So at some point in time, uh, when hair care asked me to come and, and figure out what was wrong with their, with their funnel, like basically how, how come they, they have commercials on TV selling product, but they weren't necessarily selling as much product as we had in the warehouse. We used the same fulfillment company and they didn't understand why we didn't spend as much on TV as they did. So that particular meeting led to someone suggesting that I talk about those kinds of things at a blogging conference. Uh, and then uh, I spoke at this conference and about a couple months later, this lady sent me a letter that said she made some changes to her business and in so doing, they may, they were making enough money that her husband quit his job. That fast. And, yeah, and they were working both from home. <clears throat> and I thought, all right, now this is a people job. I get to actually help people. So that's that's kind of where the pivot happened. Walgreens, you know, the economy shut down and it made me move into something else. And I took project management with me to the blogging world. But and it so sounds we, like you, beyond project management, right? Because a lot of people can manage projects. But somehow you were able to create the words or whatever needed to be done that made it be successful. And that's one of the biggest struggles that so many people have, which with trying to get, you know, what are, what are the things that you need to write? What are, where do you need to place it? How do you get somebody to interact with whatever you've posted? Oh yeah. I, there is a science to that to some degree. Um, but, but I think most of the time people uh, people skip the science and they go straight to the tricks and the strategies that they read about on the internet. And then all of a sudden the science goes away because the science is pretty simple. You either love the people that you're talking to or you don't. And if you love them, then you kind of know how to talk to them, like what kinds of things are important to them and even the words you should use. Um, you know, at one point in time, I was working on a, a menopause website and uh, I was trying to figure out how are we going to get people to to opt in to an ebook or something like that. Uh, and so as a, a basic male, I went with the the phrase that I knew as a guy, which was hot flashes. And, and I think this is what most people do. They take this, they take the concept that's well known, like hot flashes, and they say, "Hey, uh, are you experiencing hot flashes? You know, download this ebook and learn 15 ways to reduce them." Uh, and it didn't work uh, because at the time I was working uh, for someone, and I didn't really love the, I didn't really love people going through menopause. I didn't get it. I just you couldn't relate. I didn't, I didn't really know what the deal was. So a friend of mine, Craig, who's in Italy, told me I should start interviewing people going through menopause and just ask them all kinds of questions. 
and I think we did, I don't know, 20 or 30. And then we put, we put all of the answers into this program called Wordle, which is free online. Um, and then Wordle spit back to us like the most common phrases, you know, the, the one, two, three, four, five, and six word phrases that show up most common in all of the discussions. So like, give me an example of what you might put into something like a Wordle. Are you putting in hot flashes, mood swings? So I was actually putting in the, I had somebody transcribe the interviews. Okay. So I just put the entire transcription of all the interviews, all 30 interviews into Wordle. Okay. Like here's, here's 10,000 words or 20,000 words. Um, tell me, what do you see as the common one, two, three, four, five, and six word phrases that pop out of these 20,000 words? And there was one phrase that stuck out. And that changed everything. And that phrase, and it was a few different ways, but it definitely popped out to us, is that many of the people suffering menopause said the biggest pet peeve that they had was having to wake up in the middle of the night and turn off and on the fan. And that's that's the concept of the, the hot flash, but it's not the word hot flash because that's just generic but for them and it, it, it was repeated over and over so that that's what they hated was getting up to turn off the fan or turn it back on um so that's what we started using in the marketing and i still didn't talk to, to that audience like i really knew what was going on we had to sort of hand it over to someone who kind of had a better grasp of it uh because if you don't if you're not that connected you're not close to them you know, it, it just doesn't resonate. And resonating is something that happens in like a millisecond. You know, you spoke to Rachel last week or a few weeks ago, you know, on, on her blog, Finding Joy, on Finding Joy blog on Facebook, we reach a million people a week without paying a dime to Facebook. And that's because Rachel writes to moms with the heart of a mom and those moms comment and Facebook likes engagement. That's all they like. That's the only algorithm that's, that exists is engagement. So if you can get people to engage, which means they either pause while they're scrolling down and they read because that's an engagement, or they click the read more button if your post is longer than can fit on the first four lines, or they actually comment or they press like or they share, you know, anything like that. Any action taken on your post is an engagement. And there's so much stuff in the feed that if you don't know your audience well enough, you just write dumb things, questions. You just put a picture up like, what do you think about this recipe? And that's not, that's, that's like what people who get paid to work Facebook will do for you. They'll post pictures of things and say, you know, where would you serve this cake? As if that's somehow just going to magically elicit everyone's attention for that moment in time. But it doesn't. That's not the science. The science is, do you know your audience well enough that you know exactly what they're thinking and you can put it into print so that they instantly want to engage? Um, like, that's it. That's all you have to do. You either know them or you don't. Well, what about people who, because I, I have a number of listeners that have told me this is one of their biggest issues, right? Maybe they have 100 people that are friends on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever. And they post something 
that they write from their heart or from whatever. But it just seems like it doesn't go anywhere because they have so few people, even if they just have one or, or two people, but they're trying to grow it. They feel like the odds are stacked against them over these other people who they constantly see in their feeds who have the million person reach that it's harder for somebody new to start building up. How do you respond to that? So ultimately we have two pieces to this puzzle. One is your own expectations. You have to manage those. So you can't expect to go from 10 person following to a million person following very quickly unless you're willing to pay. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that because the Facebook system is set up so that once you start paying, you, you're pretty much going to pay. Uh, once they know you will pay, then why would they give you all kinds of reach if, if they can just make you pay more? Uh, so expectations is the first. You gotta, you got to be looking for 10% growth you know, week after week, which means uh, week one, you have 10 followers. Week two, you have 11, you know, 10% growth. Uh, and then the second thing is, and this is probably the most important part, is are the right people following you? So people throw around the concept of being authentic online. That's this like buzzword, being authentic. But I think most people think that that means you're supposed to be yourself. Like that's what authentic means. But I think everyone is themselves. So that's not really the problem. The problem is, is that you are not giving people a reason to follow you that is authentically in line with the goals of your business. So some people that will come to us that have like 2,500 followers will have, will tell us, you know, at one point they did an Amazon gift card giveaway and they grew by a hundred. Well, guess what? An Amazon gift card giveaway is not a filter for your audience. Like even if it's the menopause site and you like you win the ebook and you know, if, and a $10 gift card. Like, I don't even care about the ebook. I'm just going to do it for the gift card. So I am there for the wrong reason. So you, you have to make sure that the people that you're following you, their interests are authentically in line with the goals of your business. So it's not just about getting a gift because those people will probably get in and get out really fast. It's because there's something you're doing. There's something you're talking about that they believe can help them yeah like for instance I, I i did an ironman in 2001 um and i remember the training for an ironman is very much different from that from a training of, of a marathon or or even a smaller triathlon i mean you're you're swimming uh 2.4 miles and then you're biking 112 miles and then you're running a marathon so i'm tired just hearing you say it for instance, the difference between that race and a marathon is that you have to eat during the race. Like, you can't swim and then bike that far and then run a marathon and not eat. So, if you want to attract Ironman enthusiasts to your site, then you give away that. You give away the tips and tricks to eat on the bike. Because the only people who want that are people who are interested in that concept. If you give an Amazon gift card away to, on your triathlon site, then everybody's going to enter because they just want the 50 bucks. But if it's totally narrowly focused to exactly what it is you teach in your business, then the only people in your business are going to be people who follow what you, what you say. Like they're totally in line with it. 
Okay, and, and hold that thought because we're going to go into the national news break right now. But I love that idea of keeping it narrow, understanding who your audience is and what drives them and what incentivizes them to keep going because then you'll have the right people. It's better to have the right five people than the wrong thousand people. Definitely. So we'll be right back with more from Dan Morris, founder of BC Stack and Blogging Concentrated, talking about how you can grow your audience. Welcome back, everybody. If you missed the first half of the show, you're going to want to catch it on podcast anywhere you can catch your podcast or on my website. It's all about the questions.com. And I, I promise you, you miss some really, really good stuff. I'm here with Dan Morris, founder of Blogging Concentrated and the BC Stack. And we've been talking about how you figure out who and how you target the right people with the most authentic voice and really begin to grow your your social um, interactions to have the right people buying your products so that they will constantly be there. He gets about a million person reach each week on Facebook without paying a dime, and he's sharing those tips and tricks with you right now. And Dan, I, I loved what you talked about just before the break, so I just want to continue that a little bit more. You talked about how if your market, your product is, say, targeting Ironmen who run these ridiculous races, that in order to get them to download some tips and tricks for eating on a bicycle or things like that, you, you're not going to want to give away just a generic Amazon gift card because anybody may subscribe for that. But maybe you give them... Um, some free protein bars or, or something like that that would be really relevant to them. How do you figure out those pieces and then how do you take it to the next level? Because typically that's like a, a free offer. Somebody can enter to win something, but then you need to turn that into something that becomes revenue producing because let's face it, money is not evil. No, and, no. and we need it Definitely. to do the things we want to do in life. Yeah, we tell people all the time the best way to help poor people is to not be one. Like you, you gotta, you gotta get yourself in a position where you can do all kinds of cool things with your money, but you need to use, you need to make it first. Right. And most of the time, if you look around your house, you are not ashamed of the things that you purchased, like your cool shoes or your, you know, even your house or the books you, that you got. I mean, those are all good transactions, things you're proud of. So, don't be sad or afraid to accept money because largely people are, are proud to buy things that they, that are going to help them. Um, and they're, they're happy to exchange the money that they made at their job, you know, for the knowledge that you have. So be excited to get that in their hands. So just going back to where we were, I will say as, uh, as an example of why it matters to be uh, authentic in, in the direction of your company. You know, even with, like, making sure that the sponsors that you have uh, on your site or, or the partners that you choose, they're totally in line with your with your goal, which is also your customer's goal. Because this is a, just a quick example. When I, when I lived in Romania in 1994, um, we went to this nightclub, and at the club, they played, uh, they played a U2 song. Now, U2 is my favorite band. So... I was super excited to sing along with the song. So I got up, I was in the crowd, the song came on, and I started singing along, and I realized that I was like one of six people in this club 
singing along to the U2 song. Now, the other people were, you know, dancing and moving around, but they were they were not into it like I was. Like, U2 was not their favorite band. Now, if you contrast that to going to a U2 concert where everyone who's bought tickets is a U2 fan, and when the song starts playing, everybody in the entire place starts singing along, this is what you want in your business. So this is what Rachel has at Finding Joy, is she has moms. And when Rachel speaks in her mom voice, the only people that are listening are moms who have the same voice, the same goals, the same trials, the same tribulations. So it isn't crickets because she's saying what's in their minds, what kinds of things, how to overcome the problems that they have. If she's saying that at the bar in Romania with just a bunch of people dancing, like nobody's responding. It's just the wrong audience. You haven't built the right stage yet. So that would be the first part to your growth if you're hearing crickets. Is okay. Why are the people there? And you know, you do not want the people at church and your mom liking your page. This is not this is not what you need. You need people who have the same vision as you. And they might not be all moms, so Rachel probably doesn't have every mom out there because maybe Rachel's viewpoint doesn't align with the way those moms think. Correct. And that's that okay, but yet, why do people have trouble with that? They, they're like, I need everybody. No, no, that's the value of Billy Graham. So Billy Graham is a Christian pastor. Some people say he was the pastor of the president. But that guy never had an issue mentioning Jesus. Like, that was not a thing for him, because Jesus was a filter for him. Like, if you like that and you want that and you hear that, then you follow him. But if you don't, then you immediately go away, which is great. We need to filter people in and filter out. It's like same thing with Howard Stern. Like, you know, two out of 50 people in any room are Howard Stern fans. But 10 years later, he's got 20 million of those people, you know, that love that raunchy style and the crazy talk and all the kinds of stuff that he does. So when he talks, he makes sure that he filters out the people that don't belong and filters in the people that do by the discussion alone. And this is something that you should do on your, your Twitter description, you know, in your Facebook description. Like, your Twitter profile, when somebody finds your page, it should not say that you like pink, you're married, and you've got two dogs, because that's not a filter at all. You need to say, I find the best fashion for women over 40. As soon as somebody sees that, they can decide, yes, I want to follow this. This is a great filter. Or no, that doesn't pertain to me. Because ideally, we're creating an audience of people who want exactly what we have. And we're going to use you know, every, every moment that we contact people as a filter to bring in the right ones and remove the wrong ones. I love that. You know, it's like everybody talks about your LinkedIn profile, you know, don't put a title, put really what you do. They talk about the Twitter thing, yet you just described it so completely and simply. So give us another example of what somebody might want to put in like a Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn profile that really helps that filter in. Well, you really want to focus on the goal of your business because that's why you want people to follow you. So... So a triathlon company whose main revenue producer is an Ironman course doesn't necessarily want to put, we help you train for triathlons because you do get triathletes who will follow you. But 
if your revenue comes from an Ironman training course, then you need to say, we help triathletes train and run the Ironman. Because then you're sure that the people who are doing the small, because there's lots of different levels of triathlon, the people who are doing the small one who never intend to do Ironman, they don't need to follow you because they're not going to produce money for you. They're not your people. You're like, you don't need every triathlete in the world. You just need the ones that are interested in finally in, in running the Ironman at some point. And the Those key, people the you can make word, money from. The key word difference I heard in, in the descriptions, Dan, was you added run in it. The first one helped people train, and then the second one that tightened it up, not only train but run it. You, you want the people that are going to run the triathlons because they're the ones that are going to create the additional revenue. Yeah, and specifically tie that to your what where you make the money in your business. Okay. Because you need the people who are actually going to buy the big product. Like you don't just need generalists. You need the people who are truly interested in the thing that makes you money. Okay. So if it was the menopause thing, it could be something like we help people stop turning the fan on and off when you're going through menopause. Yeah. So that will get the right people into your funnel, and then you know with menopause that you have a limited window. You've got, what, 10 years or something? I don't so, know. Mine's been forever, so. <laughs> uh, so you've got, you've got 10 years to work with because uh, it's not forever, and nothing is forever. Right. Um, so then you have to figure out, like for me with menopause, I would make sure that every single year I create a new email list, and I title it 2018 or 2019, so that when I email people, I know uh, they've been on my list for a year. They don't need starter information. I've already got that to them. So with, so you your, kinda, with your triathlon, with your Ironman um, scenario, you could create a list of gathering what age people are, and maybe you're creating a new product, um, you know, 50-plus or 60-plus or 20-plus, kind of thing and maybe you're marketing some specifics within that bigger grouping yes but and even more important with Ironman and this is for everyone and it's what we call the ladder of value is if you know because you know you're only going to impact someone for a certain period of their life not their whole life but your, your business is going to help them during one one or more parts but but not their whole life so if you can figure out where those people were before they came to you and then where they're going after they leave you, then you can start to get put together a really good monetization plan. You know, for, for Ironman, for instance, there is an Olympic distance Ironman or Olymp Olympic distance triathlon. That's like the longest of the shorts before you get to, to the big ones. And if you know that when somebody starts training for a triathlon, usually their buddy is like, Hey, there's a, there's a mini triathlon at the gym in September. Do you want to train for it? You know, and it's like a 100-yard swim and a two-mile bike and a one-mile run or something, something small. So you know that, what, that that person may eventually become somebody in your audience when you're teaching Ironman. So if you know that person may someday be there, then whoever, whatever sites serve that person for the beginner triathlon, those are people you can partner with. Those people you could come up with programs with and help sell their ebook and vice versa. 
because you know those people will eventually be in your community. And then you know, well, once some people just do an Ironman once, you know, it's like a bucket list item. So then once they're done, like what do they do next? So then the question is in your business, I've attracted all of these Ironmen, I've had this list for three years, uh, and my open rate isn't as good anymore as it used to be, and maybe that's because you keep talking to your list as if they're still going to do an Ironman, but you didn't take into account they, they might have already done it. They crossed it off their bucket list, and now they're going to jump out of an airplane. So you have to start to figure out, all right, where is my people going after they've spent money with me? And they're not going to spend money with me again because they crossed it off their bucket list. So maybe I partner with, now that you've done an Ironman, how about you know, learn to jump out of a plane, join my buddy Rich in Florida. He's going to do this whole thing. Anybody who wants to jump out of a plane for the first time can go down there and make some sort of money from that, from a joint venture. But knowing who you, where they're coming from and where they're going really makes, gives value to the audience that you've built authentically. Okay, so now you, you've figured out your audience, your offer, where, where they were before you, after they're going. How do you actually get started? I mean, you're, you're so brilliant at this. You know, you've created BC Stack. You've done all these. I mean, I mean, what are some first steps, and then how do you measure whether it's being effective? At what, you know, at what point do you say, oh, it's not working, I need to start over? I mean, I'm assuming, I know that from personal experience, sometimes you just have to say, trash that, start over, that didn't work, but at what point? I don't know the answer to that question. Although, I will say, I'm about to start over. Rachel and I are going to start a new site called DontTrustYourAttorney.com um, based on our two divorce experiences. Okay. Um, so it's going to be brand new, and it's not really uh, an audience that we already have. I mean, there's some people in Rachel's Finding Joy audience, some moms who are going through that. But we're, we're going to be starting from scratch. So our first goal was first to figure out, I mean, obviously figure out a name and what it is that you're going to do. Um, and I don't, I don't really think there's a reason to ever give up or start over. Unless sometimes we help people's websites who have 20,000 fans, but only one person engages because they did a bunch of giveaways and other crap that created a, a really poor, you know, audience. They just don't care about you at all. In which case we say, all right, well, let's just start over because there's no really getting those people back. And once Facebook sees that you're not relevant based on your audience not responding, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to change that. And then the other thing to give up is when you run out of money and there's just no other avenue other than you got to go get a job to, to, you know, pay for the food. Otherwise, if you could help people, then there's really no reason to give up. You just have to try something else. You have to try to reach a different audience. Right. And that's so, what I meant by sometimes you just have to, well, this path I'm going down, that's not the right marketing. That's not the right conversation. It's the wrong people. Yeah. Let's try a different way of approaching these things. So I run uh, bcstack.com, which is, um, I guess you would call it a bundle. We, we call it a stack. Uh, we take 65 digital marketing products and we put them into one packet that you can buy for one week during the year. And they're all fantastic products. You know, some of them are 
$300, some are $1,200, some are $75. They're all great products, and they're all related to completely different things within the digital marketing world. So for um, people in the digital marketing space who have a product, you know, like right now I'm, you know, I weed through a few hundred products to figure out what's going to go in the stack because for all of the people that get in the stack, they grow their audience, like they grow their list. It's a way for them to get in front of people that they couldn't get in front of by themselves. Oh, so I am going to do that with DontTrustYourAttorney.com. I am going to find people who have the audience that I'm looking for and figure out how can I work with those people. So I'm going to try to find a divorce bundle. Is there somebody out there that makes one? And I'm going to create a product to put into those bundles so that I can start to get known by people who are going through the process. But, you know, with divorce, it's we got, what, a year, 18 months, you know, of somebody's attention? And then after that, they're divorced. They're done, you know? Right. Like, they, they don't really need us anymore. So I, have, I will have to continually build, be list building because our audience will get smaller every day that it gets bigger just by the human nature. And I'm not going to try to change human nature. I will try to capitalize on the way people move, you know, the way things do, because uh, a, a mom who hasn't been working for 20 years, who gets divorced and now is in the workforce, um, maybe needs, you know, like managing money type products. Like, you know, there's other things that they're going to need after divorce that I'm going to have to figure out how do I make them smarter? How do I make them better in this journey? And I'll be able to monetize those things. But the question was, how do we start? And my first thing is uh, bundles and then start getting interviewed on podcasts and radio shows about the concept. And that's no, that's not easy. Like trying to convince someone to have you on their show when you don't really have, you know, a lot of history in it uh, is not so simple. So it is going to take writing different kinds of letters trying to figure out how do I, you know, maybe it's the angle that I'll bring to the show that nobody else has talked about before. Um, I'm not sure yet, but that's how we're going to get started and uh, go from there. So, so it's not even for, about like, building your social first. You're recommending podcasts and other things first? I think social is where you take your audience. Um, but we don't have an audience, so I first need to build it. And then, traditionally, I create some sort of a challenge that we manage uh, in, like, a Facebook group so that I can move everyone at once. So I'm not, like, I don't have a page that has, like, eight, eight fans on it. We'll build an email list uh, that's hidden from everyone, uh, you know, because nobody can see your email list. Um, and then we'll come up with some sort of a... You know, like with Blogging Concentrated, we did a an SEO challenge, 21 days, where each day we taught them something new. But that day, you know, we moved 350 people into a Facebook group. So there's no cricket stripping. It's just like, hey, everybody is suddenly on, and now you have a community on social. But for the most part, social media is a spoke that brings people back to your business, not the other way around. I don't necessarily want to drive them to social media. I want social media to drive them back to me. Got it. Okay, I, I get that. That makes a, a lot of sense. And But so many people think that social media is a be-all and end-all. You know, I was raised in an era when there was none of that. And we did marketing and we did publicity, PR, all of that stuff. I used to write a column in a newspaper. 
every every month and sometimes twice a month for my business on tech business technology. And yeah. what that enabled me to do was drive people because they were like, oh, that's somebody that's top of mind because my name was always out there. And I think people now think, oh, if I just create an account on social media, that's going to create that no like and trust about the person. Oh, I think you've got to be really serious if you're going to create a social program because it doesn't turn off. Like, it's, it's on 24 hours a day. And, you know, if you don't post for a couple of days, all of a sudden you're stagnant. So if you're going to do social media, man, you got to be fully committed. And know that once you start, like, it doesn't end. You're just going to keep doing it. So I think social is great, but it's not, you know, we, we reach a million people on Facebook a week with Finding Joy. Um, and that's largely where the audience exists. Uh, but uh, if if that goes away, we're, we're not going to. We're not going to suffer. We've moved enough people to the business that uh, we can just move them to something else. And for the, you know, Apple computers did very well without social media for a very long time. I'm not even sure if they have anything, but for a long time they didn't have anything. They don't really do much so, on social. Yeah, so if they can seem to handle it, um, I'm pretty sure everybody else can. So there is hope for people who have trouble with the social media. They can get their message out in in other ways and you're suggesting podcasts and I mentioned you know writing articles or or you're big in blogs they can guest on blogs or partner as you mentioned with some other people yeah I've been working out at a CrossFit gym in Nashville and that guy was talking about social media and I said look I, I get that social media is good but I think that you would be much smarter to do a door hanger thing where you go door to door and you, you know, hang that little thing on the doorknob, you know, within a one mile radius of the gym, because these are the people who are going to be able to go to the gym every day without traffic, without incident, without any problem. They just need to know the guy exists and he's there. So social media might, like I, I drive 17 miles to go to this CrossFit gym and it's only for, um, for a, a challenge. Like, I don't plan to stay after the challenge. Uh, we're just trying to get fit in six weeks, and, you know, there's a, a kind of like a money bet involved. But after that, I'm not their customer. They used social media to get me with a sponsored ad. I saw the challenge. It got me 17 miles away. I'm willing to suck that up for six weeks, but I'm not going to build their business long term. So, and in fact, the challenge is I pay $500, and if I lose 20 pounds, I get my $500 back. So they're going to have paid a Facebook ad and I'm going to win my money back and then that's not going to build their business. So you can geofence social a little bit, like, you know, within your area, but why not just take a a doorknob thing to every door, you know, within a mile of your gym? Uh, I mean, a gym a mile away, I would use that a lot more often than one 17 miles away. You got to really think about the, human behavior of your audience. Yeah, I think that's a really critical point, Dan, because so many people think, oh, I can just find everybody on social, but we tend to forget the the money in our own backyard that's really local to where we are. Everybody says they want this worldwide or business, but maybe your business is a local business, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
No. I mean, in fact, it's less saturated outside of social media than inside. So you might be the only door hanger on someone's door for a couple of weeks, you know, until the pest control guy comes around in the spring. So you might actually get noticed. Yeah, I love that concept very much. So last thought and how people can get to you. We have about a minute left. Oh, um, we're at Free Weekly Mastermind on Facebook. That's a Facebook group. Otherwise, I'm, a, I'm Dan R. Morris on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, pretty much everywhere. And then bcstack.com is, uh, is our sale from June 9th to the 14th. We'd love to have everyone come out. There's no other place on the planet you can get 65 digital marketing products for $39. Yeah, it's a pretty awesome stack. I've bought it myself in the past. So, th- Dan, thanks so much for being here with me today. Oh, I appreciate you having us. And, you know, there's so many nuggets in here. Just start with one, my listeners, and reach out to Dan or myself if you have any other questions because we want to help you succeed. And success happens one step at a time. It's okay. Run your own race using the analogy of the Ironman. And we will see you next week. And thanks, everybody. Remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. been listening to it's all about the questions starring laura stewart connect with laura at it's all about the and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today